This episode is sponsored by Audible. Get a free audiobook of your choice that you get to keep with their free trial. You can learn more at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. The Lutheran Cartographer, episode 63. Welcome to The Lutheran Cartographer, the podcast where we explore what it's like to be Lutheran in different places. I'm your host, Nicholas Weber. Today we are going to Hillsboro, Oregon to talk to Pastor Grant Nepper of Zion Lutheran Church. Pastor Nepper, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to be here. Good to have you. Help orient our listeners geographically. Where exactly is Hillsboro in Oregon? Uh, we are a one of the western suburbs of Portland, so we're basically in the Portland uh, metropolitan area. We are the last stop on the, the, the light rail for the MAX. It ends in Hillsboro. Okay. So, so how out, far outside of Portland is it exactly then? Uh, depending on where in Portland you're trying to go, we're only about 12 miles out of, say, uh, the Pearl District, uh, northwest Portland and that area of town. Further out if you was trying to go to, say, north Portland or northeast Portland or south southwest or southeast because we're about a, uh, we're on the western side of the river if that helps okay that is helpful and for, by the river. for our listeners that aren't as familiar with oregon where is portland in oregon uh northern part of the state on the western side right uh right under vancouver washington so uh portland vancouver area is kind of one big metropolitan area and uh, washington oregon are split by the columbia river and then um, the Willamette River further splits Portland between east and west. I see. So it's, it, for new people, it can be a very frustrating place to drive if you don't know how to get across the rivers. Definitely, yeah. Most listeners know I'm from the Seattle area, and for me it's about a three-hour drive south to get to Portland and to Hillsboro. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, Pastor Nepper. What's your background, and how did you end up in Hillsboro? Ah, so this will, I grew up as an army brat, so I've lived all over the, the States, uh, in Europe a couple times, and ended up in college at Seattle Pacific University, obviously in Seattle, uh, from the name. I uh, was a Chinese linguist in the army, and after that I became a Lutheran the really old-fashioned way. I got engaged to a Lutheran, and then... The, the pastor up there was, uh, at the time, he's since retired, it was Ernie Lassen at Messiah Lutheran in Seattle, and he's kind of a sneaky guy. And he said, if you want to understand your bride, you should really take our adult information course. Not that you're going to join, but just to understand where she's coming from. And so I did that, and then all of a sudden, one day I woke up married and in Greek in Fort Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> How did I end up here in Fort Wayne? All right. So then uh, give us a little more about your your travels. Uh, how did you go from Fort Wayne to Hillsboro? Did you take a crawl directly to Hillsboro, or have you served other parishes as well? Yeah. My, my first call was to Faith Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona, in, in, the, in, the, in the desert. Um, I was one of—at that time, they had three pastors, and I was like the—, the the newest, youngest guy there. And then after my time there, I got two calls back to the Northwest District 
within seven days of each other. Wow. And took the one that was to Mount Olive in Seattle and was there for five years. Got a call back to be part of the ordained staff of the seminary in Fort Wayne. Did that for a few years and then got another call back to the Northwest District of Hillsboro, and I've been here since 2008. I see. So you've lived quite a few different places. How would you compare and contrast where you are now in Hillsboro with some of the other places you've been, for good or for ill? Uh, uh, Oregon is is a really uh, it's a great place to live in some ways, and a very frustrating place uh, place to live in others. If you're of more kind of a traditional Midwest mindset, this place can drive you crazy. Oregonians are very very independent people. You cannot tell anything. They have to kind of, everything is, you, you can't just say we're going to do this. you got to get everyone to buy in. Everyone's got to kind of do it together. Um, it's an incredibly unchurched area compared to, say, other parts of the country. And in other parts, I especially noticed this when I, when I was in Indiana, they kind of just assumed the general Christianity. And in the Northwest, you don't, the general assumption is unbelief. They're always surprised to find out you go to church or that you're connected to church. That's the, the least of their, that's the least obvious step. No one can, what do you mean you're not free on Sundays? What do you mean you, you have to work on a Sunday? Or you, that's, I don't understand. Why would you go to church? And one thing I've noticed about Oregon, and say, in difference of, of Seattle, Seattle there, there can be very unfriendly to the faith. And Oregon are unbelievers quite as angry, so I, I, I meet unbelievers all the time. Go, oh, you're a pastor, so you help people. That's nice. It's not for me, but I'm glad you're out there helping people. Whereas in Seattle, it's more like, oh, you're a pastor. I hate you. Get away from me. Don't speak to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting place to live. Uh, again, very independent people. Uh, we don't have a lot of multi-generational families. For the most part, people all came here from somewhere else. So a lot of people, the families all live elsewhere. You know, you don't find a lot of, especially when it was more out in Seattle, you didn't find a lot of natives. You find a lot of people that came for whatever reason. That's slowly changing now because, you know, the, the, a lot of the churches here were products of the 40s and 50s when they were planted. Now, those people had kids. You see, you get more multi-generational people now, but lots of people have, have come here from elsewhere. You had a lot of, a lot of first-generation Northwesterners. I see. That makes sense. So now tell us a little bit more about Hillsboro. What do you think are the best things about the area? Hillsboro is kind of cool. Hillsboro has a long, long history as an agricultural town that has just in probably the last 20 to 25 years started to get eclipses. It's become more suburban. So when I first got here, some of my older members could take me around and go, well, this is where this granary used to be. This is where the bird's eye trains would pull up and fill up with, with stuff. And and I had an old guy, he since uh, uh, passed on to the church triumphant. He was a farmer, and he would plant all the fields that he used to farm that are in housing developments and stuff. Well, I used to farm that. I used to farm that. And they're all very well established, either retail zones of restaurants or farmhouse or uh, former farms that are in our housing areas. Uh, We've got a substantial intel presence in town, and Nike's headquarters isn't too far away. The Columbia Sports for headquarters isn't too far away. So I've got a lot of members that now work at Intel, Nike, Columbia, and places like that, and far fewer members have this connection to the, the old agricultural times. 
This used to be a big dairy farm area. The dairy farms predominantly have gone away and been replaced by uh, nurseries for landscaping plants and things like that. And then um, lots and lots of, of Intel and Nike and, and other kind of high-tech stuff and other things like that. So new housing developments and apartments. We have this urban growth boundary here, so all of our living is, the new stuff at least, is kind of tight because there's only so much. The urban growth boundary means that there's um, a boundary beyond which the city doesn't uh, provide services. So you can't just pop a neighborhood beyond the urban growth boundary. So when they build a neighborhood, the houses are all tightly packed because they're working with London geography for where there's going to be electricity, power, and water. Uh, they just opened or started this huge 25-year uh, plan committee called South Hillsborough, which is all old farmland. They're developing into kind of master plan communities. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Old Hillsborough is... A lot of people lament that it's gone, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't here even when I moved here. Yeah, that that is an interesting transition to see it go or to see the effects of it going from a more rural place to a suburban place. What do you think are the good things about Hillsboro? Like what, what would you say like, hey, this is one reason why you'd move to Hillsboro? You've mentioned the, the corporate headquarters there, for so jobs are there. What are some other yeah. good things about about that, the area? It retains a tremendous sense of kind of a small town community. So downtown Hillsboro still has a farmer's market in non-COVID times, obviously, but uh, a Saturday morning farmer's market, uh, farmer's market. There's, there's uh, evening markets in the summers with food and all kinds of stuff going on. And everybody goes down there and, and you know, you know, people, you know, you know, the shop owners, um, that part's kind of fun. It's still, you know, it's pretty suburban. So kids can play outside and ride their bikes and do all that kind of stuff. And, uh, just, uh, we sit, uh, we're 50 miles from the beach Roughly, you know, easy access to Cannon Beach, easy access to the Oregon and Washington coasts, easy access east if you want to go skiing in the mountains, and incredibly easy access to Oregon wine country. So we're, we're kind of well located for the stuff, for some pretty you know, quintessential Oregon kind of things. You can, you can get out into the country, you can ride your bike, you can get to the city incredibly easily. Um, there's, you know, you can still buy houses with yards out here. And the older stuff, so uh, our house sits on like a half acre because it was built a long time ago. So the older stuff sits on these really big lawns and the new stuff are these postage stamps type lawns. So, Gotcha. It's, just, it's, it's a fun place to be. We've got great libraries, um, great restaurants and access to those sorts of things because since we're in the urban area, you know, if you like coffee shops, if you like whatever kind of food you want, we've got uh, lots of in and out in terms of, of people coming in and out. Uh, so a pretty vibrant community that way. The jobs bring in all sorts of new people from all, all around, not just the states, but internationally speaking. Intel brings in quite a few people. So uh, great. Just it, it's, 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 it's good in that sense. Still a very challenging area. The cost of living is rising uh, very quickly. Housing. Is becoming much harder to afford, especially if you're kind of just starting out. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So uh, beyond the the increased costs of housing, what are some other disadvantages of being there? Uh, it's it's can, depend, depending on, on your circle of friends and stuff. Sometimes because the Oregonians are so independent, and especially here if you've got people that have been here for a long time, it's hard to get to know them because you're new. I was the new pastor for probably the first decade I was here. <laughs> That's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 different. It, it's still we've got people make problems. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, so-and-so second cousin. I'm like, who's so-and-so? Well, she used to go to church here. When was that? Oh, 1973. Of course, I remember that. <laughs> I, I get a lot of stuff to ask people, Slana, tell me who that who, who is that again and what's their connection. So you get you get you get a, you still get a lot of that, especially from my I get this mix of people that are newer to the area that have come in for jobs and things, and then people with that go way back and can tell me about uh, Zion Lutheran Church used to be on another site. It moved to its present site in the early seventies. And I've still got a few members that were members at the original site, and and they'll they'll when they talk about the old times, it's it's almost unrecognizable, in, in terms of what Hillsboro was like then compared to now. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds it's really fascinating because as you're talking about it, it it sounds as you mentioned as you kind of alluded to, it's got this. Uh, you know, all these new people coming in with all these small lots, but then you also have that atmosphere of, uh, you know, don't you know this person back in that used to go here in the 70s? Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, let's go on and talk about what it's like to be Lutheran there. You've already talked a bit about how you feel that they're much friendly, even though they're unchurched, the people in the area kind of have a more positive attitude towards uh, pastors and Christianity. What else would you say to people who are curious about what it's like to be Lutheran in Oregon and specifically Hillsboro? Yeah, the interesting thing out here is, is, and this is true even amongst, say, the Lutherans, is there, there's not a lot of, of kind of like deep-seated Midwestern Lutheran identity type things. So you can't really talk in shorthand even to the Lutherans. They, 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 you, you can't talk in shorthand in terms of liturgies and controversies and and power players at the side. They don't know. I mean, I've, I've had people, I was a delegate to the 2010 National Convention, came back to give my report, and had people actually honestly ask me, why do we care what happened in Missouri? <laughs> it's like, you know we're part of a larger church body. No, tell me more. I haven't heard this before. <laughs> You know, there's and there's um, again this this kind of big independent street where, where you know, and I've got other people um, incredibly active and stuff and and go and travel and do things and, and go to places especially amongst my LWML ladies they go to the conferences and interact with people all over the place but there's still this kind of independent streak out here where connection to the national church body wasn't really well known and. And so the general unfamiliarity with the American kind of Lutheran history and, and all these things that, that in other areas of the country can almost talk in shorthand about and, and kind of name drop and stuff just, it doesn't happen out here. And that's, 
that's refreshing at times and very frustrating at times. You end up, it's fun because you can do a lot more teaching. You get to introduce people to, to a lot of stuff they've never heard or seen before. But everything that, that seems kind of normal for a lot of Lutherans, if you're trying to establish some of that, it might take you longer to do because you're introducing it to people for the first time. So, for instance, when I showed up here, they're like, well, Pastor Weir, I really had a hymnal for 25 years. Okay, so let's... They just recently published Lutheran service book. Did you want it? Yeah, that sounds good. Let's, let's get that and learn it. Great. So let's try Matins. We've never heard this service before. We, <laughs> so it's, it's, it took a long time to get some of that stuff kind of rolling. But it, it again, that's it's kind of an Oregon thing. Yeah. It's... You've got a, a, the Lutherans out here were so far from kind of the headquarters and things back in the day that they had to kind of develop almost independently. And, and that's just continued. It, it makes for, um, even amongst kind of, when I work with, talk to other Christians out here, um, the biggest challenge out here is people that, that, even church people that really have never heard the gospel before. Oh, really? Even even sitting in pews, they're still operating on kind of law and guilt and not under the gospel. Oh, interesting. Huh. There were some, when I first got here, it's just some, and I don't know where they got, I don't know if it's a previous pastor or what, you know, Lent would come around. Pastor, it has to be soup and bread. We can't eat anything. It's Lent. Nothing else at the suppers but soup and bread. That's what so-and-so said. Okay, but... That's not really what Lent is about. It's, oh, we've never heard this before. Tell us more. Interesting stuff like that. Wow. Or, yeah. Or I, I saw some of my, my members that in Bible class, you're talking about the gospel and the, the free nature of it. Yeah. Paul's relation to the Old Testament, some of this, when he's kind of, you know, Galatians and things like that. And, and trying to and comparing that to say evangelicalism or say Roman Catholicism, where they're still kind of seeped in guilt and the law and all these things you have to do. And I've had members kind of go, "I wish I'd have heard this earlier. It saved me a whole lot of guilt over time." And it just no one really—it's just the articulation of the gospel. It just it shocks me that, that people have never really heard it as a proclamation. They've heard it as an offer. They've heard it as a kind of a conditional statement. If you do this, God will do this. It's that straight proclamation of God did it and you are that, that is kind of um, new for a lot of people. That's really interesting. Anything else that you'd like to say about Lutherans as it, like people in the church, what it's like to be Lutheran there before we move on to the question of what's it like in relation to the outside culture? That's just... Um, just, it, it, you, you can't come in and demand things. You've got to just go slow and teach a lot and because relatively just kind of unfamiliarity with with some aspect of traditional Lutheranism. Yeah, so it sounds just, like catechizing is key then. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. And and that's with the new people, with the, even lifelong members I've never seen this before. What is this? That's Luther's small catechism. This is really cool. <laughs> yes, it is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. 
Folks, if you like podcasts, you will enjoy Audible. It's a service that gives you a audiobook to listen to each month of your choice from a large library. And they want to get you started with a free trial offer that includes an audiobook that you get to keep. So go to lutherancartographer.com slash audible to get your free audiobook and start your free trial today. If you're looking for a book to check out, I'd recommend looking at Martin Luther's Table Topics, all sorts of wit, levity, but also good, solid theological insights from Luther as well. Check it out at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. Let's get back to the show. All right. So then let's go on and talk about what it's like to relate to the outside culture. We've already talked a bit about it. Dive a little more in what it's like to be Lutheran as you vis-a-vis relating to other people that are outside the church. And, and this is where um, I've got a, 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 for a while before the, the change ownership, I was actually the official chaplain of one of our local tap rooms. Tap rooms? Oh, a brewery? Uh, Brewery. It was the most tap they didn't brew there, but so it was a oh, tap. Okay, gotcha. Just, uh, yeah, Sorry, I'm not as hip there. with my brewing terminology as I should be. <laughs> I'll apologize to scientists listening, but my hobby is actually alcohol, and not in terms of drinking it to excess, but I like knowing how it, how it's made, where it comes from, and, and the difference. I can talk about different brows, wine, different, different whiskeys with scotches and bourbons and Irish and things like that. And so I got to know the owner of our local tap room, and then he found out I was a pastor. And luckily, he was a, a not non-Lutheran, but a, a, a faithful church-going guy, nonetheless. And so he was like, "Great, would you want to come in and do the opening um, prayer or benediction?" Or you know, he didn't quite know the terminology to call it. Could you come give us some kind of opening for a Veterans Day? Wow, yeah, not a problem. Uh, this this guy was a former Marine and very proud of his, his time in the Marines. And so I came down. It was a much bigger thing than I thought. You know, I was there to do my thing. He had a, uh, a group there playing to play taps and present the flag. Um, they sang the national anthem led by a policeman in uniform. The mayor of Hillsborough was there doing a thing. And I kind of got to open it all. And, and he then asked me, hey, you're the official chaplain. Now, so I did that for many years. Uh, that and a couple other gatherings there, I would come in and do stuff. And so then a lot of the regulars got to know me. And it was like, well, you're the only pastor we've ever talked to. And, and you drink beer, so this is great. Come join us and tell us more. And it was it, um, That part's kind of fun. When you, when you get, but it took, I had to get to know the people first. Because there's still out here, I mean, they're friendlier than the unbelievers, like, say, in Seattle, but a guard still comes up. Or they're not, you know, why are you, they're not too sure. And in general, their experience with other Christians has been either very judgmental or, or kind of law-based. And again, even the unbelievers have never heard the gospel. So it, it's it's sometimes hard to, to get to know or to talk to some of these people because of the guards they put up. You know, the, the kind of preconceptions about Christianity are probably the hardest to overcome here because some of the stereotypes are so negative. I see. And, and we are competing. Yeah, no, it's not like people are bored on Sundays waiting for a potluck to break out. There's tremendous amounts of things that to do, if you want to use the language that we know, 
I can't compete with the mountains. I can't compete with the ocean in that kind of a sense or some of the recreational opportunities. But uh, I've been able to use my my kind of fondness for understanding the different kinds of beer and how they're made, the different kinds of wine and how they're made as a way to meet people and talk to people. So I can go, it's like the, the Brewers Festival in Portland, and I'll end up at a table full of people I know just from 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 the alcohol industry or or people that go to these just people none of them are church people but I know them all just from that or into, into wine country and it's funny because now then they'll start to realize what I do and then I start to get questions hey uh, tell me about such and such and and so it makes that kind of thing makes say like like programmatic evangelism some of these, these programs impossible to do out here can't go door to door you can't do these these kinds of things people do elsewhere because you just can't talk to people like that you almost have to get to know them first so they trust you absolutely yeah it's kind of like in sales like if you're doing cold calling all the time it's much harder than if they're kind of already warmed up as it were and it, right and yeah, cold calling just I don't think works in the Northwest for evangelism. No, it, it, the cold calling doesn't work for. I don't think it works for business out here much either. But and again, the Northwest the people are very independent and very wary. Yeah, I've heard this kind of almost a fake friendliness, where they're very polite to your face, but it ends right there. Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear you say. Yeah, I, I yeah makes sense. So let's go on and talk about what it's like to raise a family there. Yeah, uh, Hillsboro is easy place to raise a family. There's a lot of family kind of infrastructure things. Um, day camps in the summers for the kids, library programs, sports programs for from recreational up to these traveling kind of semi-serious teams for. You know, if your interest lies in that, um, basketball, baseball, swimming, uh, skiing, all, all of those kinds of things. Uh, the Hillsborough School District is fairly good, especially our high schools. Um, I, I was very happy with my daughter's high school, where, where she went. Um, uh, like I said, it's, it's uh, we do, well, again, in non-COVID times, you know, when I first got here, VBS was, was pretty big. And then it's become harder to do VBS because now we're competing with stuff that used to not be. The city's doing much stuff it didn't do before. And so, you know, the kids are almost over-programmed. So raising a family here, again, suburban. So people have yards and the kids can be in their bikes and there's playgrounds and parks. And, uh, uh, generally... If you're generally most pretty stable employment, so you know, a lot of my intel people have been here for years, going to be here for years. Um, all my Nike people survived the job cuts there. I've had some people get re leave, even with their positions have been eliminated and gone on to other things in the same corporations. So, um, we, our daughter was in third grade. We moved here, and she's going to graduate college this this June. So she was effectively semi-raised here, I guess. I see. And 
Yeah, she it seems to be a great place, and there's probably more stuff now for the younger kids than there was when we first got here. Um, we have a preschool we operate here, so I, I see a few of the I see you know, the ones that come here a little bit, but um, there's a lot of kids in Ellsboro. A lot of it's a lot of families. Great. So it's, it might be hard to be a Lutheran family, just because again the general assumption is you're nothing. So the schools don't carve out like like in other parts of the country. Wednesday night is still viewed as kind of a church night, and so there's no school programming on, on certain nights of the week. It's not the case here. Um, certain sports will have Sunday games, <laughs> and then they're shocked. What do you mean you can't play? <laughs> or we have a conflict, so they'll have Sunday games or other things scheduled without even thinking a thing about it, because the, the church—it's it, not a factor in the culture. Yeah, that makes sense. What educational options are there in the area, so far as Lutheran education goes? You've mentioned your preschool. Are there uh, other op- are there elementary and high school options for for parents that are interested in uh, Lutheran options? Yeah, we're actually part of the Westside Lutheran Schools Association, which operates Forest Hills Lutheran Christian School, which is about six miles from my congregation. That's K through eight. And then there's several Lutheran preschools at different congregations in the area. And then we've banded together for the one K through eight. Uh, at one point, we looked at doing a high school. We can we can no longer at this point afford the land to, to put a high school. There uh, was a Lutheran high school in Portland, geographically speaking, that was too hard to get to from here. And of course, we all know the tragic case of Concordia University, which just closed last year. And I was an adjunct professor of theology there for about the last decade. Yeah, I'm very, very sorry to hear about about that. One of our early guests was one of the regents, and he had just come on as they had to make that decision. Pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely brutal, and you know, I spent a decade again introducing kids that had never opened a Bible to the Bible. That's New Testament and Old Testament. Tremendous! What a great bunch of kids that place had. I've got nothing, no complaints about my time there whatsoever. Uh, they've treated all the adjuncts. Like full-blown colleagues, we were invited to everything, included in meetings, uh, treated incredibly well, and got got the opportunity to you know teach these kids and help them look at the Bible and see stuff they didn't know was there and encounter things for the first time. And that that was uh, that was a tremendous, uh, a great privilege that I had to do that, and and. Uh, I talked to other adjunct, former adjuncts. We all miss it. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Uh, Let's turn now to current events, or somewhat current events. People have yeah. heard a lot about Portland in the news for the riots and the Antifa activity. What was it really like there, and how much did it spill over into the suburbs? It didn't spill over to the suburbs at all. It was, it was, in fact, a lot of that activity was really limited to the same kind of few blocks in downtown Portland. It's, it's kind of, there's been a couple things kind of expanding out in the Pearl District lately, but most of that stuff this summer was uh, right kind of downtown in the park blocks, 
near some stuff or the other side of the river and another a part of the city. And so we, we obviously talked about it a lot. Sometimes we kind of, we, we, we joked about it a little bit. And I'll tell you, the one effect though is, is even amongst the, the people here that used to go to downtown Portland for shopping or to go out to eat, they pretty much all stopped going down there for the most part. Now, some of that, most of that's COVID related as well, because it's, you know, we were shut down pretty hard for a while. But you know, mostly it's, it's, it's almost kind of, oh no, we don't go down there anymore type, type stuff. Um, the those those kind of rights and things haven't really affected us except in the sense that everyone that's leaving the city is coming out towards us so uh, it houses go up for sale and sell very quickly out here now some of the folks that are kind of trying to get out of that are coming out to the suburbs. And some of the businesses are moving out here. So some of the, uh, well, the three of the breweries are not abandoning downtown. They're expanding, and they're expanding out our direction. And more and more restaurants, more and more of that kind of stuff is all kind of rolling out this way. We, you know, we're the county seats. We have the county courthouse and things right, right in our downtown area. We didn't see picketing or protests or, or anything of, of the riotous nature at all. So yeah, the stuff on the news kind of made it paint like whole areas went crazy, and it really wasn't. I see. It was a very limited, limited geographic area downtown. And I feel bad for anyone that was kind of caught up down there that just wants to live their life and do their business because it, it's become almost impossible, but that hasn't kind of rolled out our way at all. All right. And it hasn't been most importantly, it's just kind of been very well confined. Well, let's talk about the other thing that you mentioned, and that's COVID. And what has the response in Oregon been like? Has it been more draconian like California or more free like South Dakota? Oh, we are way, way more like California. <laughs> we got... We got shut down cold. Um, almost a year ago, we had the stay-at-home order. Just no two shirt. weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two weeks to stem the tide. And you know, we joke. I joke about that a lot. I talk about. We're now in week fifty-three of two weeks to stem the tide. Um, so uh, we had we went from you know Bible studies and services and all the stuff to nothing. And we didn't have the infrastructure kind of here to, to stream or to do any of this kind of So I kind of thought for a couple, what do I have on hand? I've got an old um, DSLR that can take video. I go buy a mic, a shotgun mic that sits on the, the hot flash mount. And so I, I can do something. I can edit that for YouTube purposes. I, I, I couldn't stream it or anything like that. And so I had to learn, and I still don't know, but I, I learned enough to uh, shoot and edit and then post at least the readings and the sermon on YouTube. And, and did that. And then we, a few months in, we were allowed to reopen it like at no more than 15 or 20, it was an incredibly tiny number. 
we could reopen. So I still had, we reopened, of course, but I still had to then shoot and edit and do these videos because people still didn't want to come. And so we're back. We're still masked. We're still social distanced. But, you know, we're singing again and all, all the stuff that kind of cut down. But I'm still having to, to then also shoot and edit and post and get these videos out every week because uh, our vaccine rollout has been less than optimal. So people are still, not, not everyone is, more and more people are starting to come back now, but some people are still waiting for vaccines and finding appointments hard to get. Wow. That must have been exhausting. I'm sorry to hear. So uh, it's, it, it's more time. It, doing the videos is harder than it looks. It really is, yeah. All right, so let's turn to happier things. Let's right. talk about what things you'd recommend people see and do, uh, assuming that things are back open again. Uh, what uh, what activities, places to eat, uh, things to do, what would you recommend to say you had a friend coming into town? All right, so uh, if you're coming out here, the, 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 there's a couple. There's an old place called Helvetia Tavern. It's it's been here for decades. Um, if you remember the show, uh, I forget the name of the show, but it was that uh, oh uh, Grim. Show Grim was set in Portland. All the werewolves stayed at the Helvetia Tavern, so it was in a couple episodes because the werewolves hung out there. But uh, it's a burger that will take fifteen years off your life, but it's worth it. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> it sounds like a good good burger. It, it's it's a good burger. Uh, the Coast, um, if you're a big history buff, we've got all the Lewis and Clark stuff because they kind of ended their journey out here. If you're going to stick in close, I'm um, Oklahoma Falls, Columbia River Gorge. Um, all the myriad of things in Portland. We've got Japanese gardens, Chinese gardens, the Pittock Mansion, uh, Oregon Historical Museum. And then Oregon wine country. So just within an hour's drive of here are too many wineries to mention where this stuff is, is grown, processed, and produced kind of all on site. You can talk to winemakers, uh, great Chardonnays, great Pinot Noirs, Pinot Gris, all kinds of other varietals for Oregon wine country. We have some of the best beer in the world is brewed around here. Oregon breweries are just amazing. Hiking, camping. The natural beauty here is, is unrivaled. The Oregon coast is simply amazing. It's not like the Southern California beach. There's lots of rocks. It's more scenic stuff you can whale watch. Our water is too cold to swim in, so it's, it's wetsuit surfing year-round here. You know, in the summers, you might wade it up to your ankles, but that water gets cold in a hurry otherwise. But uh, the natural beauty is, is undiminished. Hiking, uh, bicycling, mountain biking, in the winter, skiing. Uh, Oregon's got ocean, we've got mountains. Um, drive over to Bend and you can do a kind of all the Central Oregon mountain stuff. Tremendous. Uh, we've got Crater Lake way down south. Uh, all kinds of history, uh, Native American history. Again, the Lewis and Clark stuff, if you want to see that. Uh, we do have quite a bit of, of touristy stuff, a lot of vacation stuff. Portland's history is, is very unique. People used to get uh, Shanghai to the Portland bars. They, they be given these drinks that would knock them out, and, and there were little trap doors in some of the bars that would, and they'd fall, and they'd wake up, and they were already see as crew on some ship. 
Wow. You're kind of bad today, so. Uh, just uh, tremendous amounts of, of things like that. All the culture you can get out of a major metropolitan area. You know, the traveling Broadway-style shows, the operas, the concerts, uh, the local food scene. If you're a, a real big foodie, the, the Portland food scene is almost unmatched. Uh, lots of famous restaurants. Our food cart scene is amazing. Uh, Portland's got this happy hour thing that I hope comes back after COVID where it's not just drink specials, it's the food specials you go for. It's amazing food for, for not that much money at, at these places. And so you can try all kinds of things. And it's, it's, it's not usual happy hour foods. It's taken up a few notches. Uh, so lots of, lots of great stuff like that. So in, in the midst of a very kind of challenging place to be a Lutheran, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And, and tremendous opportunities to tell people, to proclaim the gospel to people that have never heard it. But, yeah, no, it's, it's a great place to visit. Um, you know, like, like the West Coast, it's a little you know more expensive than other places in the country, but that's, that's just how it is out here. Yeah, that's the price you pay. All right. So now, Pastor Nepper, as we start to close out the podcast, I want to make sure to give you the opportunity to point our listeners where you'd like, your church's website, places to follow your, you online. Where would you like to point our listeners? We have a website, a Facebook page, and, of course, <clears throat> a YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is just Sign Lutheran Church Hillsboro, Oregon. And all, that's, all that we put on the YouTube channel is just me doing the sermons and the readings for any given week. And then our Facebook page gets links to those videos, plus other things that are going on. Again, Zion Lutheran Church, those where we're going to find us. And then um, I think the website is, I don't, I don't run the website, it's like zionhillsboro.org. And that's probably, I'd say, the least updated thing. Um, I handle the Facebook and YouTube, so that those get updated a lot more often. I'm not sure I don't do the website, so that gets updated. But anything that I put on Facebook goes on the website immediately, kind of, kind of direct. So... But we're there. If you're ever in Hillsboro, our services are 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And once COVID's kind of done, our full slate of activities will be back up. And if you're in the Hillsboro area, uh, our preschool cannot be beat. Uh, people love it. We get um, registrations open right now for next year, and it's already starting to fill. And if you're in the area, you need Education Force Hills Lutheran Christian School. Uh, tremendous. Their principal, Mike Sheeman, just won uh, Lutheran Educator, Lutheran Administrator of the Year. So they're doing great things over there. Great. Dear listener, you can find links to all this stuff that Pastor Nepper just mentioned. Check out the show notes page. It'll be at lutherancartographer.com slash 63. Pastor Nepper, thank you so much for your time today. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners? Uh I tell you what, I've talked a lot about the gospel, and the gospel is this. Christ died for you. God has made you his child. You are redeemed. Amen. Thank you again. God's peace. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. For more about the things that we talked about today, including links to all those great things that Pastor Nepper mentioned, check out the show notes page. It's at lutherancartographer.com slash 63. I encourage you to check out that Audible offer to go ahead and get a free audiobook of your choice. Even if you decide not to continue with their service, you can start out at lutheran slash audible. B 
be sure you're subscribed to the show on iTunes or on Stitcher or on your favorite podcast app. That way you don't miss an episode. And until next time, I'm Nicholas Weber. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.